I'm just, I'm captain of a ship and I've got a dead baby! So this is just like autoerotic asphyxiation gone wrong? <laughs> Federal just make it worse, it's too salty. Welcome to Unethical Podcast. What are they, cancer? I don't know if I'm going to give no context. (laughs) And we're back. Seriously, though, this one is a little bit long, so we might want to get started. Okay. Sounds good to me. Um, Especially if I'm going to have another idiot moment. Oh, are you dwelling on that? Because that's very funny. I kind of forgot about it, so thanks for bringing it up. Oh, the paintbrush on <laughs> no. the glasses wasn't the idiot moment. Okay. No, I um, I was listening to it in the car the other day and because I'd actually got to the point where I understood. But then I was explaining to my brother and my brother's like, that would work if you just were getting someone sent to jail you don't care about. And I was like, oh, yeah. If Again, I could- it wouldn't work, but okay. <laughs> I, was, I was talking to Caleb about it and he's like yeah I mean if you found someone that you didn't give a shit about I was like yeah also that's morally and ethically really not a okay Caleb like <laughs> questionable I'd say maybe yeah. not my god I like how you went like beyond the podcast to go find someone who would help you say yes to that <laughs> no, I, I, I was I was talking about things that I did to, that like idiot things that I've said recently because I fucking for some reason I turned around to my boss and best friend right and she was talking and um showing a little bit of vulnerability and she was like talking about it how nervous she was and she goes to me the words I um <clears throat> I'm just I'm I'm nervous because you know I'm so used I, I don't want to be a small fish in a big pond and I with all the genuine love I have for her and like pride I put my hand on her shoulder and I was like no mate you're not a little fish you're a whale I mean your presence and your ability to lead creates the space that feels as much as a whale would in a pond, not your physical attributes or size. You beached as mate. (laughs) (laughs) I was just like, I went in there trying to be so genuinely supportive and like hand on shoulder, like heart pouring out. No, you are a whale. (laughs) I would have pretended I didn't say it. I would have just been like, I would have left left it there. Just, you're a whale. Don't be offended. Go home and think on that for a little while. (laughs) But she just looked at me and she's just like, you're a fucking, like we had tears streaming down our cheeks because we were just laughing so hard. Because literally like (laughs) two days before that, you know when um, in Kindergarten Cop, I think it is, when like Arnold Schwarzenegger goes, it's not a tumor. Like, no, all right. No, but yeah, okay. I, I don't, I don't think it's kindergarten cop, but yeah, what it, yeah, it be, one of the ones. It it, is, yeah. yeah, 
so my my best mate was like oh man I've got like a, a really sore in here like it's really sore after here like under here and and in my head I went to make a joke I was like oh it could be a tumor and then turn around to say like Arnold Schwarzenegger and be like it's not a tumor I had this old joke but all it came out of my mouth was it's probably cancer and then I just walked away <laughs> <laughs> you did this He's like, You're supposed to think the not Schwarzenegger part and say the Schwarzenegger part. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it just came out. I was like, probably cancer. And then, like, just deadpan and walked away. And then I was like, no, that joke didn't land. Like, too much of that joke was in my head. And so she's just like, she's like, she's like, you've said some real stupid things recently. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't know. Like, no, the synapses aren't firing in the right way. So I don't think you're fun. emotionally stimulated enough at work. Well, negatively, I'm very emotionally stimulated. <laughs> I think you're just spending too much time in your own head instead of actually being stimulated enough by the real world. And so now you just have half your conversations in your head. Correct. That's 100% true. The amount of times that half of a conversation will come out of my head and people are like, huh. Oh. Yeah. <sighs> You just think too fast. Your speed brain only half comes out. It's okay. I'm cool with it. Oh, I'm glad. I can rest <laughs> easy now. <laughs> I like it. Comes, it. it comes up with some gold. Let me tell you. I was, I'm back in like the dating app scene a little bit, not too much, but a little bit. Um, and this dude was listening to the podcast. Cause I always try to get them to join Patreon, which works sometimes. And, um, and he was like, I was listening to the last episode where you guys were like railing the Aussie about super funds. And I was like, that was the pig episode. And you're talking about super funds. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I just listened back to that episode and I was like, yep, that was one of those moments. Good one. <laughs> Oh, oh, it was fuck. a good it was, one. It was fucking funny as shit. It's fine. My favorite was you're a handful. That was you funny. were you were being <laughs> such a handful. I didn't get it. Uh, well, we it's fine. We tried. We tried. We had like, this. You got me like, there. No, you got me there. It wasn't like uh, going after you or anything. I just I wanted you no, to understand. Funny as shit. Don't, yeah, just uh, just understand that if you're gonna try and fake your death, don't do the pig thing. Just do anything yeah. else. You could do it. Yeah. Oh, it was so funny when I was listening back when you were like, no, Celeste, we need to stop and explain this to her because she's not going to be able to keep moving <laughs> on. And I was like, Rich is 100% right. At that moment, I was so not understanding that I couldn't get past it and I needed someone to help me jump the cognitive yeah, I, I know, the whole panels. episode would have been that. <laughs> yeah, because it was just not landing. Ah, it's all good. It was funny as shit listening back. I was like, you're a fucking idiot. And how angry Celeste was getting when her mic get getting cut now. That was so funny. I'm so glad Christy let that in, left that in. I was like, she's getting so cross. <laughs> that was one of our funniest ones in a while. Honestly, I was absolutely dying listening to it back when Christy finished editing it. I was actually fucking dying. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh man. Yeah, it was super funny. Yeah, I'm glad we had a chance to laugh because this one, sorry, isn't actually funny at all it's kind of sad um, come on come on we can do accepted. it yeah challenge i know that's what, that's what i said about how many up till this point 
I mean, all of us have chosen, all of us when going through our individual traumas and life experiences have chosen laughter as our coping mechanism. So I think we're very well equipped to be able to do this. We'll find it. Um, But it is still a little bit depressing and more dramatic. I don't know why I was in like a real dramatic mood when I wrote this one. But pre shout out, just like before we even get into it, because that is how much respect this person deserves. Hard thank you. Bush of the week goes to Bush of to... the week goes to Bush of the week very apropos goes to the darkness underneath podcast. Okay. Good okay. on them. Quentin Walker of the Darkness Underneath podcast. I feel like w- without you saying the shout out thing, I would have given him Bush of the week anyway cuz Quentin that's is sick like name. a name. You know, that's, that's a, a name. Anna Bush is the dark, literally the darkness underneath. So hard, hard Bush. Good on you, one. Quento. Exactly. Exactly. I love exactly. your massive I... Bush, Quentin. So, I mean, he did amazing research on this story. I honestly, like. We should send him a Bush of the Week sticker. We should. After I'd, after I'd read about this and stuff and started getting <laughs> a little bit into it, I found his podcast. He did five, well, four parts, but he split the fourth part into two. Amazing job. Really well researched. Really like deep dive. There was a couple of things where I was kind of like, I feel like you didn't fact check that well enough. And I'll mention those things just because I trust him, but there's I have doubt also. Okay, so yeah, we'll we'll get into it. So this is the tale of the orphan of the sea. The orphan on the sea is what they called her. Have you chosen not to use a script for this one? And no, I've got a from script. memory. No, I've got a script. <laughs> okay. But I can't read, so. <laughs> but I'm illiterate, so <laughs> I could have a script as much as I like, but I can't read, so it's pointless. Yeah, no, I have my page full of windings <laughs> that I fucking just, like, put on there. We're fine. <laughs> All right, I look very professional right now. Her name is Terry Jo Duperall, and she is the orphan on the sea. Okay, so um, we are going to get into her story and the Duke Brawls in general. But to start with, we're going to introduce a character uh, by the name of Julian Harvey. So this is set in mid-November of 1961. So get yourself in the mindset of 1961 um, and young men during that time, middle-aged men during that time and how they may be and where they may have came from, et cetera, et cetera. All right. I got a new Trans Am. I'm doing a lot of coke. I'm... uh... Ooh, yeah, 1950s cocaine. And then we got Elvis on the radio, and I'm pissed about it because he sounds like a black person. Yeah. All right, I'm ready. Perfect. I'm in the 61. And, I, and I'm ready to go home to my wife who better have a drink ready for me when I walk through the door because if she hasn't yeah. spent the whole day tidying the house, getting her makeup ready, and have a drink ready for me, then I get to spank her. Okay. No, that's, oh. it's it's hitting her. It's hitting All right. her. All right. Oh, yeah. 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 To the moon. To the moon. Um, the only thing that I would mention is that everybody is a veteran. Every man you see is a veteran. Okay. That's the whole right. fucking culture at the time. Every fucking guy is a veteran. Okay. All right. So I've got trauma. Yeah. Yep. For sure. Cool. All right. So Julian Harvey, he is a handsome, charming, intelligent man by all accounts. And this is accurate, but also as we've come to see, a lot of these guys are smart and also fucking stupid. So he <laughs> he was a bodybuilder. He was a World War II Korean War fighter pilot. He he was decorated. He was a war hero, in fact. 
and buff handsome guy women liked him uh the only things that that were maybe not as attractive as his right eye uh occasionally had a tendency to wander and i don't mean like after women i mean it just kind of like <laughs> fucked off and <laughs> around sometimes uh, yep the old yeah. lazy eye every now huh? and then it just kind of the old which direction yeah. are you looking at are you looking left or are you looking right? Yeah. Which one do I look at? There were at? a couple of people gotcha. who described that as unsettling, which I think is a little bit rude, but fair enough to each their own. He had his his wandering right eye. And uh, when he was nervous, he was said to have a noticeable stutter. And also nobody brought this up, but I love bringing up things that are completely irrelevant. He has the highest nipples I have ever seen. <laughs> okay, what's this guy's name again? I got to see his nipples. Julian Harvey. It's J-U-L-I-A-N. Oh, he's handsome. That's the guy. I see. Oh, yes, I do see his nipples, and they are high. I don't have nipple shots. He's like topless with like a fishing rod here. Uh, let me see if I can find the picture. Like this is the top of the picture, but where's the nipples? Look at oh, how high his so nipples large. are. <laughs> like, look at they no, are they don't so high. There. They don't pull. <laughs> Doesn't that kind of look no. like a cups though? That doesn't look like that doesn't look no. like hex. Those should be about a good seven or eight centimeters lower than they are. Before I lose this again, this is going on Facebook, so I am going to save that. <laughs> good idea. Yeah, fair call. All right. Yep. Yeah, good. High nipples. Get it. Totally weird. That would have been enough for me. But anyway. Anyway, this is a fucking podcast, and they can't see it anyway. So just trust me. When I say he had the highest goddamn nipples and he had his shirt off all the time. So there he is with his nips way too high up yeah. on his titties. And yep. he was big on boats. So he spent a lot of time on boats. That's why he had his shirt off. Yeah. Uh, no, when, as soon as you get a six pack, your shirt comes off. That's what happens uh, when I was a kid. My brother used to do that. Uh, Oscar, I'm losing my six pack. He starts taking his shirt off. I see it forming again. So like. As soon as you get a six pack, you have to. I've never done it. I've never had to have my shirt off all the time. Oscar, your 11 year old, has a six pack. He's 12 and he has a six pack. When sure. I had abs, I was all, I would always have my shirt off. Yeah, it's true. Uh, Oscar's very athletic. That's all he does play sports all day. I'm going to ask for some pictures of that. Not Oscar. You both. <laughs> I have never had a six pack. I have been fat since I was nine. Okay. Okay. So yeah, he's, he's buff. He's, he's hot. He's got really high nips. Despite, these physical flaws women adored him okay completely adored him obsessed with him he could have any woman he wanted in any room that he was in which was their mistake because he was also a raging piece of shit that was described as an egotistical narcissistic and arrogant or just described egotistical narcissistic and arrogant on a regular basis oh all of them is this like a guy that was describing him after he's like in this time or was he just air like is he arrogant considered compared to our time frame he was an arrogant guy even then this was like people who knew him had described him this way in the past also gotcha. not that this really matters but a psychologist that he saw um as a younger man i think it was before he went into the army maybe described him as basically just self-centered and completely without any concern for the well-being of others which one today might consider sociopath i was about to say sociopath not a nice dude. Hot, though. Mm. So when Julian was a child, his father left them at a young age, and his mother was very goal-oriented about marrying a wealthy man. And his stepfather would fit that bill, 
right up until the depression. Womp womp. In the years leading up to the Depression, Harvey was spoiled, very spoiled. His stepfather bought him fine clothes, the latest toys, and his first boat. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Suddenly, though, he loses his money with the Depression, and his Harvey's mother and stepfather abandoned Harvey to live with his aunt and uncle, and they went off on their own. And his aunt and uncle, their income inched just slightly above nothing. So in one fell swoop, he went from being the center of attention with everything that he could ever want to being abandoned without the means to have the lifestyle that he's used to. And this manifests into a lifelong hatred of women, though he was still a man with needs. He wanted to smash them and he would feign wealth through his multiple scams that we'll get into and forming friendships with wealthy men. In order to attract women because he learned from his mom, that's what they care about. And then ultimately he would resent them for being attracted to him for his wealth. Uh, okay. Yep. That checks out. Sure. <laughs> Weird. I, I, it must be hard though. Like I can't imagine going from like, I don't know. I can't imagine being super rich. So <laughs> just being like super rich and then just having nothing in a day or whatever. That's probably a big change and I, I know like poor rich guy but i mean still still a big adjustment for a guy like that mm. i would imagine mm. he wasn't that old too like when the depression hit because in 1961 he was 44 so that would mean he was born in 17 when the depression hits he's 13 so this isn't a grown man reacting yeah. to this. This is childhood trauma. So uh, when Harvey returns uh, from World War II, a decorated war hero, he gets really into boating and marrying women. And that's how he lived right up until 1961. And in 1961, he meets the Duperos. The Duperos consist of 42-year-old Arthur, who was a Navy doctor turned optometrist. And he was married to Jean, a secretary for the FBI and an artist, not page she just was a very talented artist and i feel that deserves recognition hey did you say did you say the dude bros is the this dude, dude bros these uh, sure. the dude bros all right what's up dude dude bro what's family. up bro the star of the show <laughs> terry joe dude bro <laughs> i don't know why that's so funny but it is <laughs> i shouldn't be making fun of people with weird nipples I got my nipples pierced when I was a teenager, and now they're in the shape of diamonds. Oh, yeah. So, Welcome to the um, stage, diamond. Diamond. <laughs> Bo's grossed out by that. I'm cool with that, too. No, no. I got my nipples pierced. and That's um, like a lesbian rite of passage, man. Yeah. I know. <laughs> that's why I did it. <laughs> and then it, fu it fucked up breastfeeding out of one of them because it was a whole heap of scar tissue, so it came out the wrong way. Yeah. Like a weird sprinkler? Oh, they already cool. come out like sprinklers. No, but like a weird one. I don't know, yeah. like out the sides and shit, not the front. Yeah, out the sides, yeah. Nice. Just when I thought I couldn't get a new cake. Just when I thought I couldn't get any harder. <laughs> there you are with that. <clears throat> okay. So uh, optometrist marries the secretary for the FBI, who's also an artist. They're very in love by all accounts. And then they had three children, Brian, who's 14, Terry, who's 11, or Terry Joe, who's 11, and Renee, who is seven. And the family is from Green Bay, Wisconsin, and they're very athletic. That's a big thing that everybody said about this family is that they were super athletic. They're always out doing sports and shit, except for little Terry Joe. She's more inclined to playing pretend by herself. And she had an introverted streak that was that really set her apart from the rest of her family. 
She's kind of like our other Terry from Unethical, Shivo. <laughs> Did she Terry Joe like Shivo and sit in the, the corner? The ultimate introvert. Uh, not being able to do anything. Terry <laughs> 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 <Jerry> Shivo. <laughs> in 1961, like I mentioned, um, Arthur chartered the Bluebell, a yacht which the family would use to island hop in the Bahamas for a few weeks. Um, and this trip had been a long time dream for Arthur. He loved the ocean. Like I mentioned, he was a Navy doctor. Um, he loved boats. He loved the ocean. And he wanted to give his family, who was the most precious thing in the world to him, the experience of a lifetime. And the Bluebell came with a captain. And that captain's name, I'm sure you guys can guess, is Julian Harvey. Mm. Julian, get those nipples in place. We're on a ship here, man. Highest nips in the seven seas. Shit. <laughs> Hang on. When you buy a boat, it comes with when a captain? When you rent a boat, it comes with a captain. Oh, chartered. Yep. Yeah. Sorry. Gotcha. Yeah. Cool. I'm back on board. I'm sure you could buy a boat with a captain. I'm sure there's a boat out there that's like, you can buy her, but I come with her. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there is that. And then there's also, you can buy a boat and just rent a captain that doesn't come with a boat. Yeah, that's weird too. I wonder if that's in the, like the wanted ads. Looking for captain. No boat. Don't need a boat. I'll supply no, my own yeah, boat. I'll, su- I'll supply the boat. <laughs> we'll supply the boat. Yeah. Or a crew. There are like rich people that literally, it's like a business, man. They hire a captain and a crew for yachts that service them for like a week. It's so weird. Rich people, man. We've got a TV show on it, on it over here called Below Deck. Below Deck Down Under. I like it. Like it follows what these insanely rich people do and expect like at one point one of the ladies was talking about how like this super rich person she needed to end up getting helicoptered in his favorite chips or something like that because he really wanted him Mm -hmm. on this cruise and then the helicopter can land on what i thought it was at all yeah i thought it was gonna be like dick pics in the mess hall you know like bang bros that's all not what i you look disappointed the internet has that he'll find it he'll be fine Okay, so it comes with the captain. The Bluebell was owned by a man named Harold Pegg. He he took immaculate care. Pegg, not pig. <laughs> no, I know. He's not going to eat any of them. But a guy with the last name Pegg looking after boats. That's Peg. fantastic. I don't really get where the boats makes it funny. Peg leg, yeah. Like if you Peg got his leg. Funny. Peg leg. That's not where I was at <laughs> at all. You were you were pegging, weren't yes, you? Yes, I you was. Were about anally penetrating a man. Let's move on. You need a boat for that too, so they can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Ron Goldman, settle down. No, a basement works just as well, mate. Not Where did cool. the babies come from? <laughs> Yeah, so he's he takes a uh, Harold Peg, the owner of this boat. He takes immaculate care of his boat, and he would only hire the best to captain it. So this is just one example of how disarming Harvey could be. Um, and he don't don't get me wrong, he's competent and everything like that. But he's like Harold must have loved him. He must have fucking loved this guy. So while Harvey fulfills the captain duties, his sixth wife, Mary was also aboard the ship performing <laughs> housekeeping tasks. For the What's passengers. your name? Mary? Perfect. You're my sixth wife. We're married now. I just like, he's just like, cut the middleman out. We're married. Uh, 
so I've got um I've got an English woman, I've got an American woman, I've got a Japanese woman, I've got a Chinese woman, Russian, um I anyone from like Middle East Europe, uh Mary, you're Slovakian, excellent. Nice. Oh, I haven't got that. Bingo. Oh, bingo again. I like it. Wife bingo. You're giving him a lot of credit. They were all American women. Not yeah, one okay. hint of color in there, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> it was the 60s, you're right. Before we get any further, I do want to stop and explain for the listeners. Yachts in 1961 are not the hotels on water that you think of today. Really, it's what you would call a houseboat. Modern houseboat. Okay. The common area of the boat, the cabin, was 13 feet long. Okay. It contained a couple of tables, a kitchen, a bathroom with a shower. And then off of the common area, there there are three rooms. Two of the rooms had either two twin beds or one queen. I'm not exactly sure. I think it was two twins because of the whole, like, couples don't sleep in the same bed. On right. And then the remaining room had two sets of bunk beds. The family did their island hopping for a couple of days in the Bahamas. And during that time, Harvey was nothing but professional and competent and would most likely have worked to find common ground with Arthur because Harvey loved to have wealthy friends. And Arthur was a doctor. And he could afford to charter a yacht to the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. But they could never have known what was hiding in Julian Harvey's past. So we'll get into exactly how shady this motherfucker was, okay? Yay. Harvey's superiors and fellow soldiers in the war reported that by the end of his career, his nerves were absolutely shot. People noticed that he scuttled way more planes than usual for a fighter pilot. But he had perfected his escape techniques so that even though accidents... Wait, sorry, sorry, sorry. What's, scut- what's scuttling? Uh, any kind of purposely destroying or sabotaging something. Like running a ship aground is scuttling it. So a plane oh. would be, he crashes the plane into open water. Crashes it or... or yeah, okay. Somehow. Okay, all right. Yeah. What, what a great word. Anyway. Scuttling. All right. Sorry. Continue. It doesn't it, sound. It doesn't sound like it what it should be. Right. Like scuttling sounds cuter than that. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does sound cuter. So he scuttled heaps more than expected for a fighter pilot. Absolutely. Yeah. He okay. he was scuttling way too many planes. But like I said, he accidents are following him around everywhere he goes, and he always survives completely unscathed. He is amazing at getting out of accidents. Mm. And I mean, there are things where it is like, well, he just staged it. But there are other things where it's kind of like, no, he was in a plane that crashed into open water. He was there. He was just fine. This pattern actually went as far back as that we know of as 16, when he totaled a car, nearly killing someone in the process, but walked away without a scratch. Now, again, 16 would have been, what, 1934? It seems, yeah. So, I mean, it seems unusual that, like he would have a car given that it was the depression he's with his poor family and stuff like that this is one of those things where i was like i don't know if you fact check this but maybe he had a car i don't know they weren't that common at all in the 1930s and didn't they only go 40 kilometers max yeah okay no in the in the 30s the cars would have been going pretty fast like it was like the 1910s they would have been shittier uh in the 30s they probably would have went pretty quick but the cars wouldn't have been ex- as expensive i don't think it would have been like yeah maybe it would have been i'm trying to think if that would have been really rare in the depression for people to have cars i don't know where did he live well he was living with his poor ass aunt and uncle after his mom and yeah, dad yeah, i get that but what city like miami i think yeah i don't i don't know enough about the 30s honestly i'm trying to think but i don't really know 
Because it would have been like like the 1910s would have been when cars were super slow. I could buy it. Yeah, I could buy that you totaled the car, but I just yeah. And in the 30s, the average car was able to to um get to apparently 80 yeah. kilometers an hour at max speeds. So he definitely could have hurt somebody with it. But again, I don't. He was poor, and teenagers like teenagers having cars wasn't really a thing until the 50s. That was when the teenage car culture yeah. came into vogue, right? So I don't know. He yeah. didn't fact. He probably fact check it. I trust him, but I also just want to, you know, that stands out as something I don't know. When Harvey was discharged from the army, he bought himself his first boat with the money that he'd saved during his service. But he ended up finding it expensive to maintain, and he had no desire to work. Obviously, the military is one thing. He has a desire for glory, right? Jobs don't really get mm. you that. So he crashed it into a well-charted and very visible shipwreck from World War One, and then sued the government. <laughs> One of these guys. That's smart. Yeah, no. He sued the government. And he won. He walked away with a handsome payout, even though witnesses said he was seen circling around the shipwreck and literally <laughs> lining up his shot. Before and muttering to himself, it. I'm going to sue the government so hard for this. he he used some of his money to go on to purchase another boat but he ended up damaging that one accidentally and instead of shelling out the repairs for it he decided decided to just set it on fire and claim insurance money again walked away with a payout on that one too fraud was a lot easier in the early 1900s like bell gunnis bell gunnis just killing all sorts of people for life insurance and catch her to like i don't know how long but it wasn't right away (laughs) oh yeah it's it's crazy how much different it was he's he's making money from various scams like this the boats are the big ones that stand out just because he was on the boat when these things happen and he was always fine it just goes, it speaks to his pattern of escaping all these accidents, right? And Harvey had a problem with women. He had a, he had a woman mm. problem. He loved to reel them in. He loved to marry them, but he hated being married to them. Statements from his surviving wives ranged from neglectful to adulterous to abusive. And the timeline isn't super clear. Um, I believe he had two children from those marriages. I don't know when or with who. Only one of them he was ever present in their lives for. Cool, but like. You love getting married and then just don't like being married? What, you like the party? You can have parties without getting married, dude. I don't know what it is about it. Maybe it's something about taking her off the market so she can't screw around. I have no idea. But he married six women. Or is it more about like the cha- like the chase, like wanting something and then when you get it, you don't really want it? Like, is it more in that Maybe, but now that space? I'm thinking about it and I don't know why this didn't occur to me before, it was probably because you can take life insurance out on wives. I feel like it's more schemey um, because you don't, yeah, I just, I don't feel like you're schemey. getting married all that time. Like you do that once and then you do it again and then are you going to keep doing it six times or unless you have a reason for doing it six times? Yeah, I actually just think it was... So he could have life insurance policies out on them. We'll see what happens. Maybe mm. I'll. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. He was a big scammer. So even if even if it wasn't nefarious in intention, it was literally just like, well, if she does happen to accidentally die, at least I could make some money off it if I'm married to her. Because I'm still going to screw around just as much and she's still going to cater to my every whim. Yeah. She's my wife. Okay, so uh, in 1949, he was married to a woman named Joan. And they were driving with Joan's mother. When the car skidded off a bridge and flew into a river and another accident followed him around, poor Harvey. And per his statement, he his instincts kicked in from when he was a fighter pilot and he was able to dive out of the car at the last minute. But Joan and her mother were trapped, maybe knocked unconscious, maybe their 
uteruses were too hysterical, uh, but both drowned. <laughs> and onlookers watched this thing play out in real time. And they told authorities that he made no effort to go back to them. He didn't even show any distress that they were in there. And he didn't cry out for help. Someone help them. He just calmly made his way to safety. And the investigation showed that the vehicle and the roads were both in good condition. And according to what I read and listened to, the diver that was sent in to retrieve their bodies had said he'd never seen a wreck like this where all the windows were rolled up and both victims were in their seatbelts. Now pause for a minute because we're going to fact check some shit. Nash Motors Company was the first American car manufacturer to offer seatbelts and that was in their 1949 models. So in order for that to be accurate, um, he would have to have been driving the 1949 Nash Motor vehicle with seatbelts. And this happened in 1949. Okay. So again, I trust the guy. But I also feel like that is super specific to be accurate. The guys driving cars off the edge, whether they're in their seatbelt or not, he just killed them, right? <laughs> like, either way, it doesn't really make a difference. No, it doesn't really. It's just like the police investigator was like, they were wearing their seatbelts or whatever. Mm, I doubt it. I, even if they had seatbelts, I don't think. Yeah, I, I saw videos from 1984 when they finally made seatbelts legal or like a you have to wear them in Alberta. And they're like, I ain't never going to wear them. <laughs> a bunch of commercials like i know this is stupid we should never have to wear these and now it's common practice and that was in the 80s so i can't imagine the 40s uh joan's father insisted loudly that harvey murdered them for the insurance money for insurance money because he had insurance wait did he have insurance on the mother-in-law too yes he had insurance on the wife for sure but here's the thing i I think part of it was that he murdered his wife for insurance money, but I also think that part of it was that I think her father was supposed to be in the car that day too, but he had a chronic illness and he ended up staying home that day. And he was always pissed at Joan because she was sending her father money because he was sick. He couldn't work. And I think it was supposed to be like, I'm going to kill you because I hate you, but I'm going to kill my wife because I want the insurance money. But he just wasn't there that day. Yeah, well, the mother-in-law at that point is just like a bonus, you know? Mother-in-laws, am I right? Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Mother-in-laws. <laughs> what was I listening to where you were talking? It was one of the uncuts on, I think it was Private Dicks, where you were like, huh, I don't like my mother-in-law and my <laughs> wife is perfect. So well, that's I my theory. Things- that's my theory on mother-in-laws. If you don't like your mother-in-law, that means you found the perfect, like, significant other. That's all. My mother-in-law tried to kill me, and my ex well, was a piece of shit. It's not a hundred. So. It's not flawless. It's not flawless. To the nothing's rule, flawless. I guess. Nothing's a hundred percent. So uh, Harvey gets his insurance payout, and the authorities sort of they put a pin in Harvey, but they had nothing to go on to arrest him. So let's go back now to the Dupro's dream vacation. It's the night of November twelfth, nineteen sixty-one. Little Terry Joe. Again, reminder: she is eleven years old. She's an introvert. She's She's the least athletic of the family. Keep that all in mind for context. She was awoken in the middle of the night by balloons. And she so did Terry Schiavo. Terry Schiavo. <laughs> I know. <laughs> that was actually not uh, what she was awoken by. I was making a Terry Schiavo joke. She was actually awoken by her entire family being oh, murdered. Two, two different so. things. Two different um, things. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> So Terry is awoken in the middle of the night by a commotion above her on the deck. 
Okay. So she had gone to bed earlier than the rest of the family that night, as she frequently did. She was more shy. She liked to be alone. She heard screaming. And so it's about midnight, they think. They think that she went to bed around nine. And then it was midnight or so when she's woken up by this big commotion. So she hears screaming. And in the screaming, she's able to decipher her 14-year-old brother crying out, help me, daddy, specifically. That's what she says. I'm sure he said that. So she remains frozen in fear for several minutes after the commotion stops. It's completely silent. And then she gets out of bed to investigate. I feel bad now about my my opinion on Terry Schiavo. All we had to do was murder her mom and she would have snapped right out of it. <laughs> uh, didn't her parents suck too? Her mom was the piece of shit. Kept her alive for way too long. Cool. Well, hindsight. Okay, so she gets up. She goes out to investigate. As soon as she opens the door... To her room, she is standing over the lifeless bodies of her brother and her mother, Jean. This is Brian and Jean. So she steps over them, passing what appeared to be a bloody knife glistening in the dark. And she goes to look for her father and her sister. Probably most specifically her father. I think that's what I would do if I was an 11-year-old girl. I'd immediately go, where's my daddy? He'll make me feel safe. So she goes and she's going to go climb up the stairs to exit the cabin. And she sees her, she pokes her head up and she sees up on the deck... Harvey's wandering around the deck in bare feet and unaware that he's a threat. She rushes to him and she's like, what's going on? And then suddenly she notices that he's carrying a large gas can and she sort of just makes a mental note of it, but doesn't say anything about it. And as she draws close to him, he violently backhands her across the face and goes, get back down. And so she retreats back. She retreats back into the cabin. And she's confused, she's scared, and who can say why? But in the moment, he decides she's not an immediate threat, just sends her back down. And being 11, you're going to mm. listen. You're just going to do it. You scared. Yeah, 100%. She's sitting back there, and she's, she's whatever, listening, waiting. She went back into the bedroom, is what she did. Stepped back over her dead family and went back into the room. And then a little while later, he comes into the room, and he's carrying her father's rifle. And he stands there and he just points it at her. And he just stands there. And then he lowers it and he yeah. leaves her there. And so she sits there and she's like, what do I even do at this point? She just listens to the sound of what's what she's going to later learn is the ship's dinghy being released and dropped into the water. And then a series of screeches and bangs coming from the exterior of the ship. She said that she could smell oil, gas, and blood, iron, as the water be- suddenly begins rushing into the bowels of the ship where she is. We still think this guy's a sociopath now, though, because, like, a sociopath would have just killed the girl. You know? I think this... No, a psychopath would have killed the girl. Okay. Yeah, well, a psychopath would have felt compelled to kill the girl. A sociopath, I think, wouldn't give a fuck how she dies. She'll die when he sinks the ship. Yeah, but I feel like, oh, yeah, I guess yeah. you're right. I was just going to say, like, the killing someone with a sinking ship, you don't watch it happen. You're just like. Oh, no, sociopaths don't. Being obsessed or, or needing that clarity in those moments is the defining difference. But what makes a sociopath become a potential psychopath, the sociopath literally does not give a shit. They've got no, like, they will, they're just doing whatever the main goal is and that's all they're doing. Then why'd he even come in there with the gun? Why'd he put it down? Could have been like, eh, this is too much effort. You're going to die anyway. I think it also may have been where he was just kind of like, I could shoot her. 
But at the same time, like a eh, bullet could ricochet. I could end up hurt. This is a small area. I could hurt my ears, you know, and yeah, it just may have Se- just been like, meh. Self-preservation. Yeah. Okay. I, I didn't think of that. I didn't think of like, that makes sense then. Cause I was just like, why come in there and then just feel bad. He didn't feel bad. Mm-mm. Nah, okay. he wouldn't have felt bad. He, he would have felt, he would have, he would have felt more like inconvenienced than feeling bad. He would have walked in and gone, oh man, this is, I could hurt. This is going to make it messier. Like I could, like, it, there would have been something that triggered an inconvenience to him that what made it not worth it. We'll come to find that everyone he killed was goal oriented. He, he didn't kill them because he wanted to kill them. He killed them because that's what he needed to do to serve his end goal. And killing Terry wouldn't mm. have helped him in any way. Yeah. She wasn't a threat to him. She wasn't going to do anything to him that to, would stop him from achieving his goal. Um, she wasn't necessary for him to get any kind of an insurance payout. It's just something else for him to do that he doesn't really need to do. So I think that's really what it was, is he was just expecting her to die when the ship went. Okay, okay. so she said that she- Rookie mistake. Well, you'll find that What's that's a- actually God. very true. Okay, so she says later that she could smell oil, gas, and iron. Um, and then the water begins rushing into the bowels of the ship. So when the water reached her torso, she was like, I need to get out of here. That's when she's like, I need to escape. Uh, it doesn't matter if I'm scared of this person. It doesn't matter what's waiting for me out there. In here is death. So she wades through the water past the now floating bodies of her brother and her mom to get up to the deck. And she's once again face to face with Harvey. And Harvey turns to her and he says, come here and hold this. And she does. Hang on, hang on. I thought she said she heard a dinghy leave. She heard it being released. Oh, released. She didn't hear. He did end up putting a propeller engine on it and it it will motorize, but he hasn't left yet. He's still in the process of setting shit up. Yeesh. So yeah, so he, he turns to her and he says, come here and hold this. And so she does. She goes and she wraps her hands around a rope that is connected to the unsecured dinghy that's floating aside the ship. And so he quickly turns and he goes to retrieve something or do something or whatever. And when he does, she lets go. And I don't think it was intentional. I think in her mind, she genuinely was like, he's going to take me with him on the dinghy. I'm helping. And so I think she just let it go. Maybe her hands were cold. This is like the ocean at night. And they were out in the ocean too. He driven them. We'll get into that later. She drops it and she's like, oh, fuck. So he turns around. And he says, did the dinghy get away? And she's like, like frozen. She doesn't answer him. And he sprints and dives over the side of the ship to get to the dinghy before it gets too far away. And he's gone. He gets in the dinghy. (laughs) Off he goes. Okay. And she's left stranded on the ship. She stands there alone on what is now the ghost ship Bluebell. As the bloodied water creeps up onto the deck and ever closer to her feet, she doesn't know where her father is. She doesn't know where her sister is. She doesn't know where Mary Harvey is. And by sunrise, the ship is completely sunken below the surface of the Atlantic and no sign of Terry Joe. So the morning of the next day, Harvey is found floating by uh, the Gulf Lion, which is a tanker ship. And he announced to the crew that, you know, my name is, my name is Julian Harvey. I'm the captain of the Bluebell. And it was sunk when all of a sudden a squall came and devastated the ship. What's a squall? Uh, Like a sudden, very severe short storm on the ocean. Got it. I think another word for them is gale. I don't know if you know that word. Yeah. 
but uh or that term not like you don't like that sounded rude but like that term to describe them anyway yeah, but it's <laughs> australia it's just called a quick storm there it's not even called <laughs> so she doesn't know that word it's fine oh fuck <laughs> yeah so he tells them the squall came and devastated his ship and it sunk and he announces i have a dead baby here and in his arms he's holding the lifeless body of renee who he actually told them her name was terry joe dupero so i don't know if he actually just didn't know their names or what the deal is but he he tells them that's her name even though it was renee that he was holding okay the autopsy results would later show that Renee had indeed drowned. And why are you laughing? <laughs> I'm just, I'm captain of a ship and I've got a dead baby. And that's, like, okay. <laughs> that's literally what he said, according to the, the sailors on the I ship. <laughs> I'm just picturing like being on the beach, finding this guy. Here, here, and my baby. Can someone hold this for me? I've been holding it for a while and it's getting creeped me out a bit. Well, no, he's on the dinghy <laughs> in the ocean and they're standing up on the ship looking down at him and he's looking out. My name is Dan. I have a dead baby. And <laughs> I have a Just, somebody wheels down like a little hook. Put the baby on the hook. Oh, God. Oh, no. Okay. So, yeah. So he comes aboard the Gulf line. He tells them all this. He's holding Renee. And okay. So, autopsy results would show that Renee had indeed drowned. And what would ultimately come is police theorize that Harvey drowned her specifically. She was the smallest, the easiest to drown. In order to put her body on the dinghy and support his version of events that everybody drowned. Again, he is intelligent in some ways. Also a fucking moron in others. The sailors on the Gulf Lion, in addition to, you know, how how he introduced himself was like very grandiose and strange. They, they were kind of taken aback by his appearance because his arms and his face are covered in scratches. And when he when they ask about him, they're like, oh, that was caused by wire cutters when I was frantically trying to save the ship from going down. And we'll get into how wire cutters would have played into that. Yeah, I was about to say, is that normal? Is that not like this is what I mean by a fucking idiot where it's like, what are you saying? Like, snip off. Fuck, snip off. Fuck. I just keep hitting myself. God damn it. Uh, No one's going to buy this. See, and uh, you feel like, and I'm sorry I'm bringing it back to this, but like a sociopath would have thought up a good reason. You would have been easy to lie. That's stupid. Like you're, pa- that sounds like a panic lie. Honestly, I don't think he realized he had them. I think he genuinely, in the commotion of everything. Oh, you're surprised by it. Yeah. Entirely forgot that he had scratches on his face and arms and didn't think he'd have to explain them. Yeah. Okay. That makes more sense. Okay, so the Bahama police immediately start investigating. They put him up in a hotel and the staff is reporting that uh, while he's there, he's he laid out large amounts of money throughout his room to dry. The money was wet, and he laid it out everywhere, a ton of it, to dry. And that he was making these large purchases. And the weirdest thing was that when they would come into the room or when he'd have a chance to talk to somebody, he would always ask them, sort of like he felt compelled to, like you're asking about the weather or how your day was. He asks if they'd found any more corpses yet. Which is a very just odd attitude. I mean, he's a captain. They they call them survivors. That's we're looking for survivors. Uh, it was weird, and it, it made everybody feel weird about him. And having all the money was also weird because I feel like in that stressful moment, you're not gonna go and try to save your money. And it probably wasn't his money. Very Anatoly Moskvin of a question. Any corpses yet? 
<laughs> the Bahama police, they they learned that from the hotel staff. They got reports from a nearby lighthouse. This was literally like a couple of miles away from where this happened. And a, a couple of miles across the Atlantic Ocean, it's not far. So all the reports from the nearby lighthouse stated they had seen no fires. And he said that he said that there was a fire. That was part of his story. They'd seen no fires. They'd seen no smoke. They'd seen no flares. And there was no violent weather tracked or reported in the area. So we'll leave we'll leave Julian and his pack of lies for right now. And we'll go back to the moment that Terry watched Julian speed off into the distance on his dinghy. After a few minutes, you know, despite holding out hope that she thought he was going to come back after he'd retrieved the dinghy. Even now. That poor girl. She still didn't see him as the villain of the story. She was like, he's coming back. So she remembers in the cabin below, she'd seen a a small cork raft hanging on the wall by the stairs. And I think it was sort of a decorative piece, but it would work in a pinch, I guess. And so she rushes to the cabin entrance. She reaches below the water, which is already reaching the deck, and she manages to release the straps that are securing it to the wall. And she throws it overboard, and she follows it, just as the deck of the Bluebell is completely vanishing under the sea. Jesus Christ, that's smart for an 11-year-old. Well, I mean, both of her parents are very smart. I assume she's actually very intelligent. She's She jumps over, and she's on this cork raft, okay? And then, of course... In a terrifying turn of events, uh, the strap that is dangling from the cork raft becomes lodged in the splintering husk of the ship, which drags it underneath. And so she's still clinging to it and just sort of hoping, just hoping that something just changes. She has no idea what to do at this point. And very luckily, and in probably what probably is an unlikely turn of events, instead of dragging her to the bottom or damaging the structure of the cork raft, it just the strap just kind of released and Terry returned to the surface and she's up there. The lone reminder of the ship that was there just moments before it is gone. Wow. I didn't know this. And I looked it up for anybody who doesn't know a cork raft is a raft that has a buoyant ring around it made from cork, which is the outer layer of cork Oak trees, the same as a wine cork and a net base. So it's kind of like a hammock that is in the middle of a buoyant ring. It's not like a solid piece, okay? It's very small. An adult could not lay in it. A child could, but their feet would be hanging over the end of it. And it's not designed for a voyage. It is sort of like a lifesaver ring. It was designed to keep someone afloat while rescue is nearby. And at any given time, she is always somewhat in the water. There is no way to get out of the water while you're in it. Terry thinks to herself, okay, maybe this guy is the villain. And she's like, I have to get out of this area. (laughs) I have to get out in case he comes back to make sure. (laughs) At that point, that bit there was the moment she goes, well, the naivety of children. Something's not sitting right with me here. He only hit me and pointed a gun at me. I I don't think he's that bad. But But now that he's gone, I know he's gone, though. So now he's a prick. I don't know exactly. But she's (laughs) like, you know what? I should probably get out of here. So she... She doesn't want him to come back to find out if she'd survived. So she paddles as far as she physically can until a combination of fatigue and the freezing cold of being on the ocean at night, it it just wrecks her. And so she just sits there cold and unhappy and scared 
until daylight comes and finally brings warmth and heat and dehydration and the visibility Mm. of predators lurking just under the water the curious kinds of predators that take bites out of things to figure out what they are so i don't know if you guys or the listeners have read the old man in the sea by hemingway it's set in the bahamas and a good chunk of that plot line involved his conflicts with sharks and the most common sharks in the bahamas are tiger sharks which perhaps you'll recall ripping up a tourist in 2019. Oceanic white tips, which were responsible for the deaths of countless sailors when the USS Indianapolis sank in World War II. Bull sharks, which are just assholes. And the star of Jaws, the great white. Those are the four most common sharks in the Bahamas. Okay. And Terry can see them. Oh, God. That's a very scary afternoon. Wow. It's not an afternoon, my friend. It's four days. Yeah, she probably wasn't even sure if those sharks were bad guys yet at this point. So she was like, (laughs) (laughs) these sharks, you know, they're probably pretty good. They haven't bit me yet. All right. They're all right. They haven't bit me. Yeah. That was genuinely funny. But I also just want to back up for a second. And so that I can have the proper impact that this needs to have. It wasn't an afternoon, my friend. It was four days. Oof. Four yeah, days four. she spent in this yeah. poor craft on the ocean. Okay. Yeah, this, they've been, they haven't done anything for four days. They're pretty good sharks, if you ask me. Yeah. That one's yeah. name is Sharko, and that one's Sharky. Yeah. Uh, um, tooth, big tooth, lots of teeth. L- little teeth, little yeah. tooth. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm with you. Okay, cool. All right. So the sharks, uh, I guess, get Bush of the Week. so they eat this little girl in two seconds because like i might change my mind on the bush the sharks never eat the girl so i guess bush of the week yeah they were never the villain yeah villainized sharks okay so terry does her best to remain sort of curled up in the center of the cork raft and not leave anything dangling over the edge because like legit all that regardless of all of that all that's between her and sharks is a net I can't even imagine how fucking stressful that would be. Nah. No, thank you. I'm good. Not for her. She doesn't really recognize danger. She probably thought it was a nice float. Like, I got to be close to sharks. How many people get to be close to sharks? The shark hasn't even hit me. I was All pointed a gun at me. We have come, we'll come to learn in time that her athletic family had not apparently taught her about people that she needs to be worried about, but they had in fact prepared her for the ocean okay so she was mm. well aware of a lot of things including sharks and never fucking drink the seawater because in four days yep. that 11 year old girl she didn't crack she didn't break she didn't try to drink the seawater good on it which saved her life guaranteed scientists later speculated because this became a massive sensation when she was found scientists later speculated that the reason that she was not attacked or even investigated by the sharks, because like I said, they'll come and they'll take a bite out of something just to see what's up, Yeah, is because she, as well as the raft itself, were still covered in the oil that had leaked out from the bluebell. And oil is a deterrent Um, for sharks. At least he did that for her, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, that was deliberate. See, he's not such a bad guy. Yeah, he left me oil. Look at this. Look at my skin. Slick. Viscosity (laughs) is amazing on this thing. 
And hey, shark, you want some oil on you? Come on up. I'll put some oil. The sharks don't even want the oil. Oh. Yeah, shark's like, no, thank you. I'm good. Yeah. As she floats on her cork raft, uh, she crossed at least two ships, she said, um, who couldn't see her, unfortunately, even though she waved and she took off her shirt and waved that. But unfortunately, she's in a white cork raft wearing a white shirt. She's a white girl on the white caps. Nobody can see shit. <laughs> So um, she begins to lose hope. The miles and the miles pass her by. And very unfortunately for her, she was only a couple miles out, like I said, from that lighthouse when the boat went down. And she was going out to sea the entire time. Oh, no. No. She had paddled the other way when she was scared. Might have been a different story. Idiot. (laughs) You fucking idiot. (laughs) Uh, She said that in those entire four days... Uh, not including sort of like bouts of semi-consciousness, she only actually fell asleep once. And when she did, she fell off the raft. And she almost lost it. But uh, her blouse actually ended up catching on the edge of the raft and it kept it near her. So that was lucky for her, I guess. Um, No, imagine the blackness of the ocean in the middle of the night. If she wasn't still attached to it, she wouldn't even know what fucking way is up. Yeah. So that is... That is very lucky. Yeah, the ocean's terrifying. Yep, absolutely. I think so I think the ocean is absolutely terrifying. It is very scary. Okay, yeah. So she's she's floating for four days. She's doing her shit. She's scared. By this point, she's so dehydrated. She's hallucinating constantly. She's seeing islands. She's seeing ships. She's hearing things. But suddenly, she hears voices. And something tells her that these ones are real. Are you talking to me, Big Tooth? That's not you, Big Tooth. Little Tooth. (laughs) That's real peoples. (laughs) Or maybe it was the fact that it was like a giant ship that she heard. I don't know, but... Shut up, Big Tooth. Try to sleep. (laughs) That is literally the end, or not the end, but that is literally what happens in Castaway. Oh, yeah. The ship is honking at him, and he's like, shut the fuck up, whale. (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) He gets pissed at the whale. That's That's right. going near his raft anyway (laughs) okay so uh she hears whatever she hears the ship the voices i don't give a fuck she knew it was there there's a greek freighter that's passing by on its way to houston texas and second officer aboard the ship nicholas spakadakis which i love (laughs) was uh standing on the bridge that's such a good name i know it's the best name it's even better than quentin something shit i'm so sorry walker thank you walker mm-hmm. yeah yeah he's standing on the bridge he's watching the ocean and you know at first he's he's he, all he sees is white caps but suddenly he just something caught his eye about this one white cap that just didn't disappear as a white cap should and so he's studying it He's trying to figure out what kind of debris it might be and what kind of vessel would be out this far that could leave debris like that. Because it should be all freighters and shit out here. And suddenly, as he's staring at it, trying to figure it out, a figure sits upright in the debris and is weakly waving at the passing ship. And he's like, oh, fuck, man, overboard. And that's a big deal. Ah. You don't say that shit unless something's going down and everybody is ready to fucking rock and get this girl out of the ocean yeah okay except for this one dickhead that had a camera there is a photo of her sitting in her cork raft staring up at the ship and someone took a picture 
<laughs> Get that one for the scrapbook, boys. Yeah. Well, it's the most famous picture. It was in all the newspapers. I bet he made a fortune selling it. Fuck that guy. He has the smallest bush ever. Okay, so according to the sailors on board that day, it was a race and a risk together because they could see and again this sounds very dramatized i don't buy this i'm pretty sure but they swear that the sharks are circling her and they are whipping up into a frenzy as they're rushing to put together a makeshift raft to lower down to her so somebody can rescue her and bring her back up and i'm like that seems dramatic but okay one sailor is aboard this raft they've made from oil barrels and everybody knows that oil is sharks weaknesses they're they're good they lower him down he scoops her out of her little raft he's clutching her to his chest as he sits on his wooden barrel and he's like go away sharks and they're like and then they go away and then minutes later the waves swallow up the cork raft not even minutes seconds and it would have been her if not for the great nation of greece that definitely sounds real yeah. yeah sounds exactly like it happened like that yeah um she was probably going bye sharko see you later little tooth catch you next time these guys are cool but they got oil because you guys are a little scary but i know you're cool man yeah you didn't bite me once you bite me once I really appreciate that. You guys are the goats here, man. Like those sharks have the bush, actually. They were, the raft only went down because the sharks were like, oh, she doesn't need it anymore. And there might be scraps. They were just trying to like pick up the leftovers. <laughs> a good people. Mm, well seasoned with her skin sloughage from being fucking sunburned to absolute shit. And she would have shat on it, right? Many times. She was not in good shape. Yeah, no. I don't imagine four days in the open ocean being a little kid. Yeah, she had like a little bit of kidney failure. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, not very well. So, okay, so they bring her up onto the boat. The sailors, they're like, give her water as quickly as you can. Give her water. But her face is so dehydrated and burnt and like scabbed over the burntness that she can't open her mouth. She can't do anything. She can't drink. And so they're they're giving her water a sponge full at a time, just dripping it into the whatever space is there between her lips. And it's fucking oh. horrifying. And so they're doing this and they're trying and they're and the, the captain comes out. His name is Captain Theo. And he comes out and he's like, who are you? Where's your family? What happened? Well, she can't drink. She's not going to be able to open her mouth to answer you. He's he's trying to find any he's trying to find anything because he wants to get on the radio and and tell people who she is and who they've found. So that whenever they get back to land or whatever happens to her, somebody's going to be there waiting for her. Somebody she knows. He was like he loved her. He was so protective of her. Again, this is all very dramatic and I don't know, but whatever. He's he's begging her for any information and she's finally, finally able to mutter one hoarse word to the captain. And that word was bluebell. Dun, dun, dun. One sailor uh-huh. said that uh, somebody asked her, like, what happened to the ship? Like, whatever. She put her thumb down. I believe that. I think that's exactly what somebody would do when they were trying to communicate. But... I really don't think that'd be the first thing she'd say. It'd probably be her name. I don't think she'd go, Bluebell. Whatever. Anyway. <laughs> or help. Cap- Captain Harvey. 
like whatever her needs are, if she hasn't eaten and she's still like she hadn't eaten and she's still really dehydrated, I reckon the first words out of her mouth would be something like hot or cold or like something about how her physical state would be. But like, you know. Hungry <laughs> for anything but Greek food. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Please don't give me an olive. I don't want, I'm hungry, but keep the olive oil out my mouth. Federal just make it worse. It's too salty. Moussaka is sucks. She wouldn't have been hungry at all, actually. <laughs> the way the dehydration and starvation affects you, she wouldn't have been hungry at all. They would have eventually had to force her to eat, probably. Okay, so yeah, she croaks out Bluebell. And they go on the radio and they're like, we have a survivor, blonde hair, brown mm-hmm. eyes from the Bluebell. He's like, I'm Harvey, though. I don't know what you're talking about. I have a dead baby. There's no survivors. There's a dead baby in my hand. There's a dead baby. Yes. Theo. Theo, what are you talking about? I have a dead baby. What are you talking about? Uh, no one Theo, just, just stop. You're making a lot of drama for nothing, man. Like, I've got a dead baby. My name's Harvey, and I'm here. And you're going to believe like, her? Need- she's delirious. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's dehydrated. She probably saw it. She saw the fire. Now I've got an eyewitness. <laughs> Did I mention I have a dead baby? So I know (laughs) what I'm saying is true. Okay, so let's go figure out what Harvey was up to while this was happening. So while the the Bahamas officials were doing their investigation, this is a factor, they couldn't actually investigate the ship. Whether this was intentional or not, it had sunk directly over a trench. It was fucking gone. They couldn't get to it. Yeah, so that is something to keep in mind about their investigation. But... Uh, while this is going on, he sneaks out of the hotel and makes his way back to the United States, where he is called in by the Coast Guard to go over some things. Because they just have a couple of questions. It, he was an American citizen involved in all of this, right? But he's not being considered for a crime or anything. And he wasn't actually really being held by the Bahamas officials either. They just put him up in the hotel. I just like yes. that, like, his, his excuse is a dead baby. Like, he's going to tell the Coast Guard that, like, did they mention that I had a baby in my hand? Like, of course I didn't do anything. It's a dead baby. I have a dead baby. Yeah, you'll find it doesn't come to that at all. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, so this very morning of the day that that Terry is rescued, uh, 9 a.m., Lieutenant Murdoch of the U.S. Coast Guard and the owner of the Bluebell, Harold Pig, sat down with Harvey and to discuss and have sort of an interview and get some testimony about the sinking of the Bluebell and the deaths of the passengers. Okay. So before the conversation, Lieutenant Murdoch is not quite sure what to make of Harvey. According to the transcript throughout the interrogation, Harvey displayed a severe stutter. He was very nervous. Sorry. I have a dead, 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 dead baby. Sorry. I said that wrong a couple times before. Yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> I'm, I'm more in it now. That Thank we, you. we understand now. Okay. okay. But could he just blame it on that? Like his stutter? On the trauma of what happened and holding a dead baby. Oh, well, he like he had a stutter. People would have said that about him later anyway. He would still be the guy with the stutter. I thought he always had a stutter. I, I thought think. you meant if he could he blame his stutter on killing the whole family. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> the old stutter defense, huh? <laughs> There's statutes to the old There's stutter precedent. defense. There's precedent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Both men, both uh, Lieutenant Murdoch and uh, Harold Pegg, they said he was behaving like a man, oddly in good spirits. You know, uh, if you look at it objectively, this family died and the ship went down and he should be traumatized and stuff like that. But again, I feel like it's under 
represented that his wife is on board. Like he should be broken oh, up yeah. at least about his wife dying. But no, he Depends. seems is it like the fifth wife. Sixth. Or is it second wife? Sixth wife. It's the sixth. Mm-hmm. Okay, then the even the everybody's like, yeah, I, I can see why he's not broken up. That's like. But they don't know that that's his sixth wife. They don't know this much about him yet. Oh, if they did, they know yeah. some shit that's not great. Um, like <laughs> all the boats he crashed. He was behaving like a man in good spirits, and and he made statements that, you know, Harold for sure knew were highly unlikely given the inspections, the anal level of inspections that he did on that boat. He was obsessed with that boat, okay? Like, he knew that thing inside out. And like I said, neither one of them have any idea about the previous ships that he destroyed or his history of accidents or his dead wife before the dead wife. They don't know nothing. (laughs) So in the transcript, Harvey claims the mast on the ship fell over when the squall hit the ship. And when it fell, it pierced the deck and sent splinters out everywhere, which injured both Arthur Dupereau and Mary Harvey. So the father and Harvey's wife. And then he said that, you know, it it injured them. It sent it sent um, splinters everywhere and it did who knows what kind of damage. And so he runs to get wire cutters and he does this so that he can basically disconnect the mast from the rest of the ship because it's cutting off access points for them to get by the wires. Right. So he runs to get wire cutters and then he's on his way back and he sees that a fire has broken out. So he turns around again and goes to get the fire extinguishers. So when he clears enough of the flame, he heads to arrange the lifeboat. He's he's trying to do his captain duties and get everybody safely off the boat. But when he gets out of there and he's up on the deck with the rest of them, he sees that they've all put on their life preservers and decided to jump overboard all by themselves. And they were like, well, <laughs> just drive the dinghy over to us and pick us up. It's fine. We're safer here in the wide open ocean. There's splinters up there. There's splinters and hazards. <laughs> yeah, I'm getting off of this. There are unmanaged hazards up there. I'm not going to be there. Yeah. Okay. So whatever. They jump overboard. They're like, it's much safer out here in the ocean. Little did they know those life preservers were shit at preserving life. <laughs> they all drowned. <laughs> all of them drowned. He steers the dinghy to them. Because they've all drifted around and he's going around. He's like, come over. God damn it. Get the fuck. God, fuck. Come this way. This way. So <laughs> the only one he's able to pull up is Renee. He grabs her. He scoops her up. She's light. She's little. Just like one arm. Like, Ugh. picks her up, puts her in the dinghy. The rest, he's like, I can't. I can do no. I can do no more. I must go. So he hauls ass out like there. bobbing for apples. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So he, he hauls ass out of there. He's, oh, no, sorry. He he picks her up out of the ocean and he attempts to resuscitate her and fails. And then he hauls ass out of there. Harold Pegg is like, there is no way my mast could have toppled that way. And in the unlikely, so fucking unlikely event that that mast did fail, it would not have hit flat and or it wouldn't have pierced the deck like that. It's, it's 50 feet high. It's not going to pierce the deck. It's going to fall, break, and roll into the ocean because it's going to go over the side of the boat. Wait, 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 wait. Did I mention I have a dead de- de- baby? Again, Harvey yeah. doesn't say any of this. <laughs> it doesn't get there. 
I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just love how he announced that. It's so fucking stupid. But how can you question my mast story when I have a d- 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 dead baby? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess that's what he keeps falling back on. He's distressed. He's like telling the story about how distressed he is, whatever. <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, okay, so yeah, he's like, it would have it would have gone into the ocean. The mast is too high to just split the deck or even land on the deck. That makes no sense. They talk a little bit more, and when they get to the end of his testimony about the whole thing, the, the lieutenant, Lieutenant Murdoch, he's kind of like, well, why didn't you use the radio? Oh, it's it's broken. It got broken when the mast fell. It got broken in the fire. Who the fuck knows? And then they're like, well, there's flares in the lifeboat. Why didn't you use the flares to get somebody to come help you? Oh, I they weren't easily accessible, and I didn't think about it at the time. I was stressed out. I was trying to my, save the, the dead baby. My hands were full <laughs> with a dead baby. <laughs> Did I mention there was a dead baby? <laughs> Lieutenant Murdoch, show some respect. <laughs> um, and then they're like, okay, but the lighthouse that's only a couple miles away said that there was no fire and there was no weather. They didn't see anything. And he's like, oh, well, they were probably slacking off. I don't know. What do you want me to say? I had a dead baby. (laughs) And so by the end of the conversation, Lieutenant Murdoch is like, shit. This man's going to get away with murder. And he was right pissed about that. But imagine his relief when he comes to learn that a survivor is discovered. One who claimed to have survived the sinking of the Bluebell. So what happened is directly after, again, maybe dramatized, probably, but what he says happened, what everybody says happened, is directly after finishing the interview with Harvey, Lieutenant Murdoch dismissed Harvey, which I've come to learn, I thought dismissed, like, let him go, but apparently dismissed just means he made him sit in a different chair. I don't know. Anyway. And he begins to interview Harold Pegg directly about the Bluebell itself. In front of Harvey? Yes, yes. Apparently, he was like, it's your legal right to stay here and hear what he has to say. Maritime law, man. That's actually like a a thing that might be a factor. I actually don't know. (laughs) I don't know maritime law. I'm just saying like they've, me neither, but they have weird ass laws on the ocean. Like from what I, I come across weird shit, ocean shit and weird shit. That might be something like we're all here. So you got to listen to it. Maybe. Yeah, I'm not sure, but that's a good point. It may have been a maritime law thing. Okay, so he's he starts interviewing Harold, and pretty much immediately, the door is flung open by Captain Barber, and I don't know who that is. <laughs> and he shouts, you're never going to believe this. Terry, the girl, she's alive. And no, she this was is... dead. I, saw, I showed her to you. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what Harold and Captain Murdoch, or uh, Lieutenant Murdoch say. They say Harvey stood up and screamed at the top of his lungs, oh my god! And then suddenly, when all eyes are on him, he's like, isn't that wonderful? (laughs) So dramatized. I've been foiled! I mean, nothing. I'm fine. (laughs) I should have pulled that trigger. I knew I should have pulled that trigger. If it wasn't just inconveniencing me. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck! Well, apparently, God damn it, after fuck. this, they celebrate. They're like, Woo-oo. they're like, oh, that's that's wonderful. The girl survived. We'll 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 be able to confirm your version of events. Huzzah! And then he's like, may I be excused? 
And Lieutenant Murdoch is like, well, you can stay for all of Harold's testimony. That is your legal right. And he's like, no. So he leaves. He walks downstairs, gets in his car, drives to the Sandman Motel, and checks in under the name John Munro. And a short time later, a Coast Guard is stationed outside the motel under the order of Lieutenant Murdoch, who called the Miami police the moment that Harold left his office. Uh, So Harvey is trapped. Good. Yep. Trapped, fucked. I guess we're getting right back into the Ari Squire thing where he's fucked inside a motel. Uh, yeah. He's got a, and he changed his name to what again? What was the what's the new name? Sorry? Justin Newman. Yeah. Oh, you mean him, John Monroe. John Monroe. John Monroe. <laughs> and he sits there putting layer and layer of chapstick on his lips. Chapstick on his yeah. luscious lips. <laughs> I love it when these things go full circle like that. <laughs> like in a circular pattern, because that's how you get the most luscious lips. I've heard. No, I meant, but yeah. 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 Okay. So he's trapped in the motel. So he sits in the room and he drinks and he drinks and he drinks. Apparently at some point he stopped at the liquor store because he checked in with a paper bag of booze. So he drinks, he drinks, he drinks, he drinks until he is fucking half blind and empty inside. He then writes a short note addressed to his best friend. And it reads, quote, I'm a nervous wreck and just can't continue. I'm going out now. I guess either I don't like life or just don't know what to do with it. Cremate me and bury me at sea. But the word cremate was scratched out and he double underlined bury me at sea. C-R-E-A-M dash A-T-E. Cremate. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> all right it's okay Okay. i'm not always i I say stupid shit all the time i don't know why that confused you (laughs) i just look man i guess i either don't like it or i just don't know what to do with it (laughs) okay so uh he then removes a double-edged razor blade from his razor and leaves a ten dollar bill on the pillow for the maids he goes into the bathroom and he takes two photographs out of his suit because he went literally back to Miami and then straight into the Coast Guard. So he had luggage with him. That's why he has like the razor and shit on him. But he also had a bunch of photographs that I think this is a weird part of it. I don't know if it's sentimental, but he had them on the ship with him. He had photographs, lots of them, and he saved them. So he takes two photographs and he puts them on the toilet tank in the bathroom so he can look at them while he sits on the floor. And the photographs were of his son, the only son that he ever got to know and raised in any way, Lance, and his late wife, Mary, the one he just killed. Nobody can really explain that one. He goes into the bathroom and he's sitting on the floor. He's looking at these photographs and he begins violently slashing at his body with the razor. And he slashed repeatedly at his ankles, his thighs, his wrists, his forearms, and his neck. The maid described them as they looked like smiles. They were deep. Nasty. Nasty. He killed Mm. himself in as much of a frenzy as he stabbed that family to death. Again. That's crazy. What is that? That's not something a sociopath would do. That's that's true, too. I was going to say, like, I feel like this is regret now. Or I guess it's just like, maybe it is sociopathy because you don't want to go to jail. That explains killing yourself. But the frenzy way that he killed himself and the photographs. 
Maybe it's the only way it gets hard. Like the blood is yeah. serious. So this is just like autoerotic asphyxiation gone wrong. No, no. <laughs> it's just the only way that it, he can't just kill himself normally because he's not. He doesn't like it. It's the only thing that he likes about it. Like I want to see the gore before I go. It's the last thing I'm gonna do. Because these guys are fucking like they have weird shit. That I don't know about killing yourself. But that's the thing. Slashing yourself. I feel like your body's instinct would stop you from doing something like that. So it's like you have to overwrite that with like trauma or like alcohol or alcohol. That's true. Like you. So he's blind. Uh, the slashing nature makes sense as in like what Richard said, he's not exactly wanting to die. He's just not wanting to get caught and go to jail. Right. And have all of his power taken away. So the, the slashing makes sense in terms of, Quick, getting it out, in and out. And if you're drunk, you're going to bleed out because you, your blood's thinned and also you're able to override those, for the most part, ability to, like, protect yourself. And the only thing I can think of of the photographs is it makes sense if he's found that people would assume that's a regret or a sentimental thing. So it makes his death seem... Not like an, a get out of jail free card. It more seems it's like a depression. So he could get the accolades, I guess, or the. Or it could be an ego thing. He could literally just be like, yeah. look at how much I went through before I died. I'm the toughest fucking son of a bitch alive. Maybe the one photo of his wife was like his best insurance scam ever. And his kid, he had the biggest insurance plan on. So it was like the best thing in the world. He never got to finish the kid off. I would have had the mm-hmm. best insurance payout for my kid ever, but my wife was the best one ever. He's just like mm-hmm. bragging to himself before he died. Maybe. Yeah. I'm not really sure, yeah. but either way, he's the, the only thing with like, as far as wanting it to be quick that stands out for me is there was literally dozens of slash wounds on him. Like he slashed That's- until he was like, like lost too much blood to continue slashing. He fucking went for it. Yeah. The following day, the maid comes into his room and... The first thing is she can smell the blood, but it's behind the bathroom door. So she smells this sort of sickly sweet kind of smell that she doesn't like, but she can't place it. And then she goes and she tries to open the bathroom door. And as soon as she's able to open it, even a crack, it's it hits her. And she's like, oh, I don't like that smell. She doesn't know what it is. She'd never smelled that much blood before. She was like, I don't know what this is, but I don't fucking like it. And she started screaming hysterically and left, according to the other people in the motel. Well, he left her 10 bucks. She should have seen that. No, she would have been cool with it. Apparently, she actually did notice that. She did notice that there was 10 bucks on the pillow. But I assume when she went to go collect it immediately, she also noticed that he left blood on the bed when he was removing his razor. He cut himself. She didn't like it. But. Yeah. Fair. So he's dead. And he's blocking the bathroom door, too. So they needed to get, like, the manager to come in and shoulder check the door open. Or maybe the Coast Guard guy came in and shoulder checked the door open. I actually don't know. Some dude did. And it pushed him out of the way, which probably wasn't actually that hard because he would have just kind of slid across the blood. Just like like a slip and slide. Yeah, for mm. sure. It's a weird, morbid slip and slide. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so uh, they find him, and he's there's blood fucking everywhere, and he's he's flat on his back, on the bathroom floor. Dozens, dozens of self inflicted slash wounds, and this doesn't matter. And I don't like that it happened, but he was buried at sea as he requested, which is rude. What's this in for this guy? Like, who did that for him? I will tell you. Like, okay. 
So everyone that who knew who knew him after this whole thing came out, after it was on all the newspapers, because the surviving girl, you know, she said things and everyone decided that even though this is technically unsolved, technically, that he did it. Mm. Everyone who knew him was said they were absolutely dumbfounded when the truth came out about this. He was not capable of such crimes. Especially his best friend, James, who the note was addressed to and who buried him at sea. And his son, Lance, his son, Lance, thought the world of him. Thought he was a great dad. Which, again, is weird. Who says it wasn't Terry? That killed everybody and he just had to flee from her? Well, see, that's just it. Is If he'd said that, maybe. But why would he make up all this? Well, maybe he just like was like, I'm tough. I don't want to be the guy that was beaten by a girl. But then he got beaten by a girl anyway. But maybe the little girl said, if you fucking say anything, I'll kill the rest of your family. You like Lance? Hey, I see that photo of Lance. He's dead. You better not say a fucking word. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the 11-year-old I mean, girl's... No! If everyone's I... saying this, what did everyone say about the 11-year-old after? No, she I get it. She killed her entire I... family. She killed his wife. I get it. As soon as I said oh, this yeah. is technically unsolved, you were like, I gotta private dicks this shit. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help myself. I was like, no, I've really struggled to follow what was happening then. I apologize. I was like, why why would Terry be threatening? I don't get it. She killed her whole family because she hated them. And then when he tried to intervene, she killed his wife. And then she was like, you tell anybody about this, I'll let you go. You tell anybody about this, I'll kill your son. Take my bitch-ass sister. I don't like her. So No, 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 I'm not even... I'm not even thinking that. I'm thinking like you're gonna get me. I don't know how to use this dinghy. I'm 11. You're driving me out in the dinghy, and he let the dinghy go and fucking swam out to get it. And she was just stuck on the boat after. That was the only reason she let him live is so she can get the fuck out of there on the dinghy. But he was like, "Fuck you, I'm out." And he escaped, and then he was just terrified. Like the girl's gonna come back and get me. I should have shot her when I had the chance. I should have not brought the baby. Maybe he helped the baby. Maybe he's like, "I'm gonna show everyone your dead sister." Fucking, I'm getting back to <laughs> this is the evidence. <laughs> She's like, good, take it. Oh, I'm sorry, the victim. That's a victim. <laughs> we don't know that. That's true. Actually, true. we'll get into it later, but I feel like this is a good place to mention it. She never said that she thinks Harvey killed them all. She hmm. never said that. She was like, I don't know if he did. I'm not comfortable saying that he did. She still doesn't think hmm. he's the villain. What? Yeah. Okay, well, I'm calling me intrigued because there, this explains a lot of things. If this girl killed him, it explains the pictures. Like, I love my wife, I love my kid, and this is the only reason I'm killing myself because this girl will go fucking kill Lance if I don't do it. It explains, uh, like, why I brought the dead baby. Evidence, you know? The, the, the girl killed the baby, you know? That's not what he was yelling. It wasn't like, I'm captain of the blue belly. It's like, I just went through hell. I've got a dead baby. No, but that him. doesn't work, though, because if he thought she was dead, if he thought Terry was dead, which he obviously did when his reaction was, oh, my God, why would he just not tell the truth if he thought she was dead? This is what this girl said, not what this guy. Like, he, anyways, from what I understand, this story of what happened on the ship isn't his story, a lot of it. A lot of it's the girl's story, right, about him pointing the gun and all that shit. Maybe it just never happened. Anyways, I'm just joking. I'm literally joking because it's an 11-year-old girl. You're fucking about you. fucking up my head. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know, right? It kind of makes sense. It's because it's, it's an 11-year-old girl. It makes it not make sense. You know what I mean? Like, I doubt that. But she was the introvert. She's the weird one. I don't know, She man. sat in the corner by herself. Everyone's athletic. Yeah. You, know, yeah, you walk without your shirt and your six-pack, huh, Dad? I'm going to fuck you up. 
I mean, yeah, but she's also an 11 year old girl that survived four yeah. days on the ocean over overriding her own instincts to drink the water that was all around her and commanded an army of sharks. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm sorry. I went private addicted, but not on purpose. Oh, my God. Yeah. I'm kind of leaning a little bit on this one now. <laughs> so going back, he kills himself with his note. And everyone's shooketh. No, he killed himself with the razor. Oh, sorry. Yeah. And left a note. And everyone's shooketh. But you also said, wasn't he the guy that everyone said was an arrogant douche? Some people did. Most people liked him. Oh, okay. His kid liked him and his friend. He had a best friend. That's all I know. That's why. Yeah, but he also had another kid that didn't. And all of his ex-wives that were still alive said he was a douche. But there's lots of like. That's just, I know like... that's just 1961. I feel like 1961 would be less likely to have six wives, but you have one wife, you just beat a lot of like girlfriends, you know? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, despite what we all think actually happened now, I'm going to just tell you the narrative that played out everywhere in the 60s. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So everyone's dumbfounded. He gets his, his burial that he wants. Uh, his best friend, James, his son, Lance, his sister, also, we're like, nope, not a chance. His military service shows he's not capable of harming people. He's a hero. He's a protector. And they even said, like, even in his final moments, he showed he was a gentleman. He was a good guy. He left a tip for the maid, knowing what she was about to walk in on. And he left his beer bottles upright in the bin because he was a gentleman that didn't want them to have to clean beer out of the bottom of the trash can. This is um, uh, sounds like a good guy to me. Yeah, it was definitely a gentleman thing, but I mean, he was. No, do you know what it sounds like to me? It sounds like to me a detached person. What are you laughing at, Richard? I just baited you into that. Anyways, keep going. It sounds. It sounds. It sounds like to me a um a a detached person who has believed that all the chess pieces have been moved, and there's no other way to. Like it's a fine, it's finality movement. It's not necessarily gentleman movement. It's finality movement. He's Maybe. like, all right, I'm gonna put my my thing here. Make sure, I, like, yeah, all right, because this is all fucked. I've been chess. I've been um, checkmated. All right, I'm gonna go do this now. Definitely, my thought was he was raised rich, which they have a heavy emphasis on gentleman behavior, and then he went into the military, which also has a heavy emphasis on your behavior. So I don't even know, man, for whatever reason he did this. It also may have just played into this thing that he was trying to paint this picture of himself when he went out. Who yeah. Knows? Okay. So, uh, yeah, the people were like, he didn't kill himself because he was afraid of the electric chair. Why would he torture himself more than an electric chair ever would if that was his intention? He killed himself because he felt he couldn't live with everything that had happened. If he had been a better captain or done things differently, he was guilty. He didn't want to be the stuttering freak in the newspapers. Who watched an 11-year-old girl kill his entire family and crew, and he couldn't live with it, I see. That's traumatizing and a half, so. Definitely. It mm -hmm. could have been some straight-up PTSD. For whatever reason, people still to this day just vehemently are like, she's lying about everything. For no reason. Yeah. What is she gaining? Well, I mean, she is famous, like super famous and has been ever since she was found. So it is. Our, the victim was Halle Berry. I don't know. This girl's not that famous. I don't know her name. She was like 
on the Today Show and shit famous. And actually, in the okay. 60s, she was literally everybody knew that story. That's fair. On the day of her discovery and the day of Harvey's death, um, a helicopter was sent from Miami to retrieve Terry from the Greek ship, which was a very emotional goodbye for the sailors. Like I mentioned, the captain was very protective of her. But Terry was in really bad shape, and she needed to go to the hospital. Shortly after arriving in Miami, she fell into a coma. And the whole nation prayed with her and hoped that she would be okay and rooted for her. And she woke up, and everybody was thrilled. You know, little did they know that she openly wished that she was still in a coma. Because as soon as she woke up, she had horrible nightmares and a paralyzing fear of falling asleep. I don't have big tooth and little tooth to protect me anymore. I don't think that. I don't think it was that. I think it was more like the opposite, where she was like, if I fall asleep, the sharks will eat me. Sharky and Sharko aren't here saving me. So from everything that they get from Terry's testimony, eventually, all the evidence they got from Harvey, the life insurance policy that they discovered taken out on Mary, uh, this is the picture that the investigators put together. On the night of November 12th, 1961, Harvey convinced the Dupros, Arthur and Jean specifically, to partake in some night sailing, see the stars, make good time to the next destination. And then when they parked in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, and the Dupros had retired, all went to bed around midnight, Harvey put into action what he had been planning since becoming the captain of the Bluebell. He was there to murder his sixth wife and soon to be his late, his second late wife. So based on the scratches, Mary puts up way more of a fight than Harvey anticipated and probably made more noise and drew more attention from at least one of the passengers. Um, or it is yeah. also possible that Arthur simply came looking for him because apparently he was attached to Harvey's hip the whole time. He wanted to know everything about boats and everything about captaining. And he wanted to be best friends with this guy. So he was probably coming in and he's like, hey, you want to fuck my wife? You can fuck my wife. I won't say anything about it. I'll fuck your wife. It'll be great. <laughs> It'll be great. So somehow, Harvey is caught in the act of murdering his wife. And from there, either Harvey revealed a large knife and attacked Arthur immediately, or Arthur retreated to go and get the rifle which he had in his room, which ironically he brought to shoot sharks. Harvey chases him down. Uh, doesn't really matter how. Harvey does not bother to try to quietly kill anybody at this point. He stabs Arthur to death in the cabin of the ship. And then the scene's already a bloody mess. He goes back to his wife, murders his wife. Same thing. Stabs her to death. Makes a big old mess. From there, Harvey most likely went into Arthur and Jean's room where he began to stab Jean. She was able to make it partially out of the room and then was ultimately killed in the kitchen outside the kids' room. The agreed upon next step after killing Gene is he retrieves Arthur's rifle, which he then used to kill Brian because Brian came out and it's just faster to shoot them, I guess. Yeah. Brian is also the biggest threat on board at that point. He is 14. He is a man. He, you know, he might be able to fight. He's athletic. Remember, this family's really athletic, too. So he's like fucking Oscar six pack over here. What the fuck? I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying I could beat the shit out of the little kid, though. You know what I mean? Like. You got a six pack, but I can still smash it. Fourteen and twelve are different. They're different. A fourteen year old boy. We'll see. We'll see. Talk to me in two years. We'll see if I can still beat the shit out of him. But for now, nothing. Like uh, okay, congratulations. <laughs> I guess. I'm just saying. 
Congratulations. Um, you can beat the shit out of your 12-year-old. Excellent. I'm just saying, like, I don't think the 14-year-old's that big of a threat is what I'm saying. I don't know. I don't know, man. Really athletic, lifelong athletic 14-year-old. He could have been tall. I don't know. No, I'm not I'm not saying he wasn't either. I'm just saying, like, I, I'm trying to think of any – I like, I know a couple of 14-year-old kids, like, sure, but I'm also a grown-ass man. I – not scared of a 14 year old i wouldn't be ever i don't think 16 17 when they start getting to be six footers then they're big maybe but 14 i'm trying to think of 14 year old kids that oscar hangs out with and i'm i don't think so yeah but you guys don't get any sun there (laughs) they don't grow properly (laughs) okay (laughs) i didn't know sun was requisition to like getting science water and sunlight well, That's about- for plants. Uh, <laughs> no, it's for everything. What about, That's what about like diet need. and genetics? What about like diet and genetics? I mean, yes, but do you know what happens to people that don't get any sunlight? Vitamin D pills? They fucking die, Richard. <laughs> and before that, they don't grow properly. Okay. I didn't know that. I'm not a scientist. I'm a like wait, didn't we do an episode of a bunch of kids kept in a in in um a basement and they were all tiny, frail things because they got no sun? Or food or love. That's yeah. not true. They got love. She loved them. That's true. It's like all they got was love. Actually, you're and right. Trauma. I was like <laughs> love and I don't know which one they got more, but they both got a lot of both of them. Mm. <laughs> um sorry who's dead brian's dead okay so brian just died he was shot sometime during the commotion apparently renee tries to run and either falls overboard or was caught by harvey and pushed or forced overboard where she drowned and wait sorry 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 just before you continue how have they paced all this together from what terry said about what the scene looked like and right. from the evidence that they got from Harvey or Harvey's behavior or whatever. Right. And then I don't actually know this for sure, but I feel like they might have actually gotten the ship. Not like shortly, but eventually they got the ship. Right. Either way, this is what they've pieced together. And this is like the agreed upon series of events. Okay. He's in the process of setting the scene by the time Terry even makes an appearance. So... Yeah, she can sleep, man. Another thing she has in common with Terry Shavo. <laughs> anyway, we know what happens from there. So aside from the murders, all Terry really ever had to say about Julian Harvey was that the only time she felt uncomfortable around him was once shortly after the voyage started where she said he stared at her a little bit long. He never showed any signs of being attracted to little girls or or even like very young women i don't think it was a leering kind of thing or if it was it wasn't predatory exactly but she just Uh said he stared at her a little long she said that her initial reaction when he backhanded her on the ship was that there was blood or quote something gross up on the deck that he was trying to protect her from seeing and that when he later came into the cabin brandishing his father's rifle and pointing it in her face that was the only time she was like oh no this guy might actually be the bad guy but then he left and didn't shoot her and she was like oh he's fine when she was asked about how the ship looked that night like shortly after she woke up 
this is really the thing where they were like, yes, Harvey is 100% a guilty man. Her description does not include a fallen mast or a damaged comm station. She didn't smell smoke. She didn't see fire. She didn't see any signs that there was a fire. And the only other thing that that kind of came up was she said that Harvey and his wife never even fought. The only thing that could even be perceived as fighting when they were on the ship was his wife said she was tired from cooking for everybody. She heard that conversation and she made it very clear and makes it very clear. Anytime she's talking to anybody about this, she didn't see Harvey kill anyone and she refuses to say that he did. I don't know, maybe a karma thing. I have no idea, but she's, she's like, I didn't see it. I'm not going to say it happened. Hmm. Wow. I suppose also if she doesn't, I suppose also if she lives in that world and doesn't admit it, then she doesn't have to admit that happened to her whole family. Maybe. Like they just drowned. Yeah, maybe. Maybe her dad did it. He was never found. His body or nothing was never found, eh? Nope. They never found any of them. Maybe that was his plan. Let's go out into the ocean now. And he was going to murder everyone. Then he caught them. That's why he's got all these defensive wounds. But why would you lie about it after? That's the real thing about the whole thing. Like, yeah. why why make it up after? Um, unless it's an 11-year-old girl who threatens your son's life. But, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon Lance could, could have. Himself. Maybe he, if he did come up with that narrative, like, maybe that would have been a little bit more foolproof. Instead of, I've got a dead baby. Maybe he stole his identity. He, like, killed Captain What's-His-Nuts. That was Arthur Dupro the whole time. Yeah, he wore his face off the thing, and he just, like, got away that way. He just found another. That's why he had to slash so much, so he could unidentify neither, the body. It was, like, a dead corpse. Neither one of them were Mexican. Thing. I don't see how that could go wrong. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> there was no pigs anywhere. <laughs> No, that's the sad. That's very sad. That's crazy that this little girl survived. That's the craziest part about the whole thing. Little girl on a little like piece of cork, making friends with sharks and surviving that. That's yes, a bass burger on a ship is very sad too. Don't get me wrong, but it's just crazy that girl survived. I just, I'm, I'm shocked. The only thing I can think about is that she doesn't want to admit it because a, there's no way to prove that she's right. So she could be called a liar if that mattered to her. But then the only other thing is if she did love her family, even if she was the person that didn't really fit in, is the moment she admits it was a murder, then she can't just say it was a sad accident where they drowned at sea. That's true. Could be a trauma thing. Protective. Yeah. I don't know. That just feels weird. A lot of this is weird. A lot of this doesn't really make sense. But also, again, based on some of the things, I feel like a lot of the stories were really dramatized and kind of muddied the waters or bloodied the waters of the whole thing. Yeah, that that's what gets me about the whole thing is like, it doesn't feel right. And both, like the narrative of both of them doesn't sound real either. Like the guy just coming in with a gun, putting it down, doesn't make sense to me. Why did you come in with the gun then? What was the point of coming in there with you were just going to shoot them and then you change your mind? And then like him, didn't you say he was walking around with a gas can or something up top when she yeah. went up at first and he back smacked her? And why wasn't there a fire? Like what's the point of the gas can? The guy's lighting a fire. That's the point. If you're, unless you're just filling up the gas and he smacks her and says get back down. Because that may have been he was leaving with her standing holding the dinghy while he went to go lay the gasoline out or something like that but then she let it go and he couldn't finish yeah 
Yeah, so maybe yeah. there was he was going to involve it. It's, it's just a lot of mm. it is kind of up in the air. But I mean, I don't disagree with what everybody has sort of come to the conclusion on here. He f- for sure murdered that whole family and his wife. Mm. Like that for sure happened. Considering he already ran his wife off, the, uh, another wife off of a cliff with his mother-in-law. <laughs> I don't really feel like that is a bu- or like. Or is that a conclusion people made after they started looking into this guy? Like, was that the conclusion at first that he killed his f- second wife or whatever? Maybe he is just a lightning rod of misfortune where he just There's all these accidents like were accidents. I mean, maybe. Are... I, I just wow. feel like if you do a lot of things, right, you're more likely for bad shit and good normal shit to happen to you. But like, if you're a person like me who's like, I do a couple things, it's less likely that my than someone who's out every day fucking going on ship rides and do, like you'd have be a more accident prone just because you do put yourself in a situation where accidents can happen to you more often so if you're out doing shit every day like maybe he's not really accident prone just because of statistics i statistically stay at home more often so less bad shit's gonna happen. statistically most people own one boat and crash it zero times he owned three boats and sunk them three times yeah, most people own one boat, never crash them, drive them once a year. This guy owns one boat, drives it every single day. Accident proneness goes up because you're out every single day with it. And then you have to buy three boats because every time you're out, your boat sinks, you need a new boat. I still feel like those statistics are good. And he wasn't flying any more than any other fighter pilot. He was just scuttling them more. I don't think it's a statistics thing. I would agree maybe he is just a, like a lightning rod for accidents. Because like you said, there are people that literally just for some reason are accident prone for sure or maybe it was just like his wandering fucking eye it just went for a jaunt <laughs> and that's how all this shit kept happening see i forgot about the lazy eye <laughs> yeah yeah it's all yeah. chalked up to a lazy eye whoops didn't mean to kill his wife and then everybody knows it's like oh shit god damn it just trying to make supper for everyone be nice because my wife's sick of making supper and i stabbed them oops wrong fucking eyeball i'm looking through <laughs> He was trying to be nice the whole time. Wrong fucking eyeball I'm looking through. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Unethical Podcast. If you're not in the Facebook group, stop being such a silly goose and come find us at Unethical, the official unethical podcast group. If you find you just can't handle the anticipation until the next episode, then it's a great time to join our Patreon, where we have a ton of extra unethical content, and of course, our brother podcast, Private Dicks. And in case you didn't hear the good news, Private Dicks is now Public Dicks. Every two weeks, an episode of Season 1 will drop wherever you eat your podcasts, and our lucky Patreon patrons are literally living in the future, listening to new episodes from Season 2. On the fence about it, Have a listen to the trailer and see what you think. If you've got a case, big or small, give the private dicks a call. And yes, the phone number is real. Enjoy! Have you got a mystery that needs solving? Where is Amelia Earhart? We know. Who the hell was D.B. Cooper? Easy. Bermuda Triangle? Probably solve that one next. Here at Private Dicks, we guarantee a mystery solved every episode. That's with a capital G. Every second Friday, the Private Dicks take a client, record their session, and solve the world's greatest mysteries. One by one. Private Dicks solve them, no problem. 
God, I love just crushing mysteries. Search up Private Dicks on your favorite podcatcher and you can solve a mystery too. The mystery of what's your favorite podcast? It's Private Dicks. Another one solved. If you have a mystery to be solved, call 1-855-PRVTDIX. That's 1-855-PRIVATE-DICKS. Call 1-855-PRIVATE-DICKS and leave us the rundown of the case. Maybe the dicks will solve it. It's 855-PRIVATE-DICKS. Because I'm straight when it comes to humans but fucking gay from old people.